Um, okay, so welcome to the show, whatever the name of the show is. I don't know what it's called yet. You're looking nice. <laughs> First of all, we're, our kid is not here. Yeah. That's how we're able to do it's this. two adults, home alone. Yeah. Home alone. That's the name adults. of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no toddlers here, no white noise, no interference. And the idea is just conversations. Conversations about real things that are going on, people's points of view, and my sort of interrogation of your point of view. Okay. I'm used to that. Yeah. So. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to go well. (laughs) I've been trying to start scheduling folks, and turns out hubby's the best first option. Yeah. Captive. I'm available for life. So we'll see how you fare. It might have been um, wise or ill-conceived to have you be this first guest. Yeah. So we'll see. Pressure's on. Yeah, for me to start interrogating your point of view. Okay. Is this a safe space or no? (laughs) It's safer. It's absolutely safe for any ideas you have. All right. You're just going to start doing topics or... Yeah, so um, the other idea is that whoever's here has a point of view about something, and I'd like to hear about it um, and see if it matters at all. No pressure. Yeah, so first thing you'll do is tell me if what I have to say matters at all. Yeah, that's the first thing that happens. Okay. Um, So, Sam, is it right if I call you Sam? What do you think about things? What are you thinking about right now? Right, because we know each other outside of this <laughs> yeah. podcast. I invited you here yeah. because you had some ideas about things. Like right. We've been talking a lot about race lately. Yeah. And By the way, I'm white. I <laughs> <laughs> um, feel like is, the radio might not. Yeah, the, the radio, you can't tell these things. Yeah. Um, I'm not. That's all I'll say. No. <laughs> yeah, that's all we know about each other so far, but <laughs> but we do. We talk about white and black things a lot. Yeah, because I'm actually black. Right. I'm your black wife, <laughs> and I <laughs> am your white husband. <laughs> no, but okay. Basically, what was happening was um, I w- I realized I hadn't told you that um, because it's just a thing that happens sometimes. That, um, you know, people stop me on the street to, to call me white devil. And <laughs> um, I'll just say for the listener, we live in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Right. Yeah. Um, off of uh, the Utica stop on the 3-4. I think that gives some context versus where we used to live off the Franklin stop. Yeah. Uh, it's just a different. But honestly, I would say 60 to 63% of the people that call me white devil is over on Franklin Avenue. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. I thought it yeah, was Yeah, this right neighborhood, here. people just don't look at me at all. Really? I mean, they stare at me. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't Wait, say, let me take that back. <laughs> But they don't call me white devil. <laughs> that, that, that counts almost as just not seeing me at all. <laughs> it's really, they really look at me. Avenue. They really look at me hard here if I'm walking with Asa. But I think 
just because huh. they think he's so beautiful. Yeah, I think I get the looks with Asa too. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard not to look at him. Yeah. Sorry, our child. We have a child who is both white and black. <laughs> <laughs> and the looks are really on Franklin Avenue. I didn't realize that when you first raised this with me. I thought it was this neighborhood. And so I assumed that it was about um, uh, just like a really black neighborhood chip on their shoulder about you being there. But it's really about a taken over gentrified neighborhood and the who is it who is it that's saying it like the holdovers the, the folks that are holding on the neighborhood i would be totally imagining <clears throat> i would totally be making it up if i knew what the story was of the person who would call me white devil or i i was going down into the subway the other day leaving work and this guy said what's up man and i said hey and he said fuck you fucking white piece of shit you racist piece of shit after he said what's up yeah and honestly the whole point is i forgot to even tell you this because <laughs> happens all the time well what is all the time all the time i, I mean like it happens like once a month but but that but it <laughs> stood lot. out to me that it happened two days in a row and i was like it was a back-to-backness and it happened two days in a row at the same train station yeah that's when i came out with my disc track back-to-back <laughs> That I never released, and then Drake came out and ruined it. Yeah, okay, so this happened a year ago? I mean, it's happened since... But see, even in me telling this, I feel like, why am I saying this, you know? Is this a safe space Right. You're to saying talk about I, how people call me white devil? Yes, okay. you're saying it because I invited you here to talk about it. So really, how do you feel about it? Like, what did you... When you first told me about it... It feels a little unfair. Yeah, when you first told me about it, you were kind of pissed about it, mainly because it was a phenomenon. It was something yeah. that ha- happened to you on a recurring basis. Oh, I remember first moving to Franklin Avenue and um, just, like, taking a walk to the store with my dad, to the liquor store, and it happening, like, on the first or second night that I lived in the apartment. And... Um, and then, and then I haven't like, noticed welcome it. Welcome to since, the neighborhood. <laughs> welcome to the neighborhood. And then, and then I haven't noticed it since, just because I think it's just like kind of a part of it. Yeah. So that was a several years ago. Your first time you moved into the neighborhood, yeah, and like that happened eight, to you eight years ago. And it really was like a welcome. Like, just got here. Yeah. You're the white devil on the block. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. You're like, and so at that time, that was just, before I'd even married an African queen, <laughs> <laughs> which you thought might change things. I didn't think that it would change things. No. <laughs> oh, okay. I know. I didn't go into it with any optimism at all for race relations. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's honest and true. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I felt the same way. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to pick up my drink now just so okay. you know it's going to clink. Oh, good. I just, I'm gonna Let's clink them together. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. So, yeah, we're talking about race. It, yeah. It, it's Sunday night. Yeah. It, it deserves a drink. With diet. Some diet something in yeah, here. This is, let's weird. not bring that up. Let's okay. not spoil it. Let's pretend it's delicious. Well, I think the thing is, you know, I hadn't thought to mention it because I don't know that I want to put a whole lot of energy into creating safe spaces for white people to talk about their feelings like i don't know that i that that i see that as like mm-hmm. one of the things i'm why I'm why to is that happen. because it seems there's some part of it where you're just like okay this is like part of my being you know the you don't feel class. entitled to that 
Because you feel entitled to so many other things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel entitled to what? To a safe space to talk about race. Um, I don't feel entitled to calling the meeting to talk about race because someone called me a white devil. Oh, you don't, t- you don't feel entitled to the reason for the race uh, discussion to be about someone calling you a white devil. Right. To be about a grievance. Right. I don't know that I, that. I don't know that I am officially filing grievances right now. Okay. I just imagine that this is, would be like a highly frustrating thing to hear at this point if you were listening to this. <laughs> like, what are these motherfuckers talking about? You're damn right. You don't get to talk about them calling you a white devil. Where'd you say Franklin Avenue makes sense to me? <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to say I'm sort of easing into the point of view here because there's so many assumptions around what's the right way to be where this is concerned. And we're talking about a incredibly hot button issue in these incredibly divisive times, divided and divisive times. Right. Um, but really, like, I feel like my point of view about it it's to question all the assumptions around it. Start with equality and to really, really, really practice equality and break down this idea that race holds a power that it truly does not hold, that we give it. But anybody who's yelling anything at you holds a power. And they're just yes, pointing to the color of your skin as the thing. Um, so... Right. It, to it, truly practice equality is to, is to sort of cr- start to try to create spaces where historical power doesn't exist but i'm historical power right but it but it does exist exist. the counter to that is that it damn sure does exist what are you talking about historical power yeah it does exist (laughs) i am historical power and they don't want me to exist (laughs) nobody wants me to exist (laughs) what's up with that I mean, look, how do you, how would you respond if you were standing next to me and because oftentimes when you and I are walking through the subway together, I've noticed that like Mm -hmm. until we sit down next to each other and start talking, people didn't know that we were together. Yes. And then we do start talking and they continue to stare. Right. Because it's like aliens. Right. Even though we're very far from the only ones. When she's in the subway, she runs, just sprints. (laughs) Even if you were just having a conversation, she just takes off sprinting. And when you get there... (laughs) This is not relevant. This is also why no one knows we're together in the subway. <laughs> yeah, and because Sam lets everyone in the subway walk in front of him until no one's left in the subway. You want to know why? Because as soon as I start moving quickly, everyone's like freaked out because there's this giant dude and he's throwing his body around. And he's the, and I, I think he's a white <laughs> I think devil. He's a white devil, and he's just. Free with that. What's going on? No, I'm, I am careful in public places about, you know, throwing weight around because for the same reason. I've heard, I feel, I've heard of this yeah. from black men mm-hmm. or from a black man having the same concern just because just he's a large man. Yeah. And the world responds to his largesse in a way that you probably share People sometimes your think you want to fight because you're bigger than them. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a separate thing from your, the experience of your races. Right. I'm carrying both of these <laughs> burdens, being big. Right, that is a difference between me and that black man, is that I'm carrying my white devilhood. Anyway, what would you do if you were in the subway with me 
and someone was just like you racist and, and people have said that even first thing i would do before. is see if they were if i was afraid that if i, I was afraid yeah. if they were seemed like a crazy unhinged yeah. person and i'd be risking my life to say something to them but that's any, the first thing i would anyone assess. who's on a subway car with you is a crazy person because you can't get out you don't know how crazy they are anybody you see on the subway you ever been on the subway you just anybody have to assume you, see. you have to assume that this person you ever see when school gets out on the subway? <laughs> this person is talking to you and you don't know them and they are saying anything to you that seems like it's coming from the heart. Whether it's a sermon or a hallucination or, you know, you have to assume that... That they might have a knife. Yeah, or just that to leave the subway would be hard. So how much do you want to engage? Oh, because you're trapped. Because you're, trapped, you're trapped inside with them okay. at that point. No matter what, you're trapped. Um, I have to say, I don't know. I think I could handle a confrontation on the subway knowing that the doors would open on the next stop if it really got that hot. I'm not yeah. afraid to actually get into it with someone. I'm, I'm afraid to get into it with someone unhinged. You are afraid to eat yeah. on the subway. <laughs> I'm not afraid. I've just been raised. Not to do that. Because yeah. I noticed not cool when I do that. No, I mean, that is another piece of your white privilege, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Is that you would just open up. First of all, the that's subway, what I mean. The subway I deserve has it. signs telling you not to do that. Okay. Yeah. And your ignoring of those signs is part of your privilege. It's, yeah, it's true. Well, yeah. I tried to pack a lunch for Corinne one time. I had little spoons and lunch. Tupperware. It was a to-go dinner. It was a, a date night <laughs> meal that was supposed to be special and romantic, served to me in a Tupperware <laughs> with a fork we on bro- a subway car. And Corinne wouldn't eat it. And I was so, so confused, so, so coldly. hurt, so hurt, <laughs> till I realized it was my white it was, privilege it was our that culture made us divide. bring this meal on the train. <laughs> that kept us from enjoying a romantic dinner. Nobody ate on dinner. The train. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I mean. Maybe I deserve it. Maybe yeah. I deserve it. No, <laughs> I just, you, yeah. I no. Honestly, I just tune most things out that happen. Like I was crossing the street the other day. After finishing work, and this guy goes from like 10 feet away, but directed right at me. Hey, man. Hey. And I didn't even turn my head. This is like someone yelling like full blast. And you, and I didn't even turn my head. And I was like, wow, I'm a New Yorker now. Like, this is what this is. This is what New York is. You know, if I was walking down the street in Atlanta. and the someone, guy who said, what's up? And called you a white devil? No, just a different guy. Oh, I didn't even wait to find out. Oh, you didn't wait to find out. See, but I didn't even wait to find out. you don't even know. He might have said, hey, nice jacket. I'm not nice even jacket. including this guy in the white devil calling right. population. He, he I'm just, just saying that I've become so... He might have He might have just been... Wanted to tell me your, that my fly was down or something. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just not even turning my head anymore. Like, I would never think to engage with anybody on the subway. Oh, I think that is a sign of like a stage phase of New Yorkerness because I think yeah. you go through phases and I'm at a point uh, as a lifelonger, lo- lifelong New Yorker where I'm considering all my encounters. Like I'm, I don't just outright dismiss my experiences on the subway. That's definitely not. Unless it's somebody screaming preachy words at me on the subway trying to convert yeah. me. I mean, a lot of people are trying to convert you to Christianity that on the subway. That is just the damn worst. That I get really indignant about. That's what I mean. I hate that shit. <laughs> but if someone just says, That's hey, same I do me, turn honestly. my head. I wonder if they're in distress. I wonder if they actually need help. I love to give directions. If someone comes through and has a story about how they're down and out and they need some money, 
I will sometimes pull out money and give it to them and sometimes completely ignore it, depending on just like where <laughs> I am where and my, how good and, their pitch and your is. And where my headspace is. But if someone is preaching about the gospel and it includes pieces about how everybody's going to go to hell that's in the train car, that to me is the same thing as yelling white devil at people. It's the same. It's all I just block in all of it out. That's the same. That's harassment. Yes. And there are people yelling, you know, racist things to to all kinds of people on the subway. All right. Well, I guess the thing that stood out to me about you bringing up this white devil thing is that um, the fact that it had an effect on you, the, the uh, cumulative effect of that, the fact that it didn't go unnoticed the t- 20th time it happened or 50th time or however many times it's happened to you, matters. And I don't think it matters. I don't think it's important to measure it against like black, how much black lives matter, for example. <laughs> but um, I don't think the idea of people being cruel to each other particularly on the basis of race, is something to ignore just because of what side of the race you fall onto. I, I see that as the trap of racism, that we are free to transform. The, his, the history of it is true. The historical power of it and the historical strategy and political tacticalness of it is true and real and continues to be practiced and exercised. Uh, but it's also true that the future is new and ahead of us um, and that we have potential to so to, what's to transcend. New, what's the new future response? The 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 response to what ails us is love. Bottom line, honestly. Yeah. Feel free to. <laughs> well, I feel like that's respond. However, uh, to that, but the uh, and, and and by that as the baseline, the truth is justice. The truth is fairness and equality. And that's all rooted in love and the power of that. And, so that, I, and the idea that that is love, the most powerful I should just force. love my enemies. <laughs> yeah, the, the, you don't have enemies if you actually practice yeah. love. I mean, honestly, when someone calls me um, whatever and doesn't know me, I'm assuming that someone has something in their head that's led them to believe something about a person they've never had a conversation with. So I can only take that so personally. I think what's interesting about it is just that um that i don't that it that it like somehow doesn't even register it just kind of it's like a thing that i wouldn't think to bring up t- to like my white friends or my black friends what this this thing that happened to you right right even like to call it, just, it something that yeah, happened even, to you even to just call it out and be like right. hey i was but i was i mentioned it to adam the other day and he, <laughs> he just gave me look like yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh yeah so you see it as sort of a phenomenon that probably lots of white guys, especially in, in gentrified Brooklyn experience, and just let it roll off? Yeah, but are we releasing a whole episode about this? <laughs> well, no, it's not about this, okay, and okay. it's not to feature you. Right. <laughs> Even though I invited you on as my guest, I'm not here to feature you. Good. I'm here to raise the issue of a white man's experience with... Um, the harsh um, point of view, but isn't of a race. isn't there a little part of you that's just like, all right, but you know, yeah, absolutely. That's right. my thing. It's like to question all of these assumptions that says it's not valid to investigate or explore your experience of confronting race. Uh, we confront it. The thing is not to turn our eyes closed to how we confront it and to assume 
that it still follows the everything we already know about it because everything we already know about it is that it's insidious and poisonous and incredibly effective and i have come to believe that it's so effective and i I know i'm not an original thinker on this and there's many brilliant speakers and i'm informed by so many things least not least of which is you know james baldwin and the new james baldwin documentary among others and for a long time james baldwin not even just from this documentary but that there are many people who have thought and 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 whose point of views I'm building from, but that we all perpetuate it because of this belief that, because of, because of buying the belief of the power of it as, as um, what's the word for when, like something that you can't move? Immutable. And that's not real. That's the trick of it. This is what I learned from 13th. This was my paradigm shift this year. And this is what this episode is about. All right, so don't worry. It's not about your whiteness. I'm going to retake the power here and give it to Ava DuVernay. <laughs> but really, uh, what I learned from that movie, and I'm not sure that this was like the whole intention. I always like to think I'm a super sleuth about like the message and, and things. But is that the trick of the penal system being um, a perpetuation of slavery, a continuation of slavery, is that, and they say it in plain English in that movie, that it's a tactic and a device, that the politicians actually don't care and are not invested in white power, per, like, uh, of its own meaning. They don't, they don't actually have this race pride. They have a zest for power and for control. The real uh, fruit, like, victors spoils is power, and race is an endlessly effective tool to gain it it's just the story of this country is actually a story of power at play and race as a tool to to harness it and just that switch in my mind that it's really it's there's the truth there is no truth to racism it's a trick it's entirely a trick and we kind of know this and believe this that like people that believe in what's right and what's wrong, but no one believes that racism is wrong. And this whole idea that like nobody actually wants to be called a racist because we all know it's wrong is because we get that, that it's a trick, this idea that people are worth more or less based on their race. We all get that. But we still buy into the idea that it exists outside, as, as, a, as an entity, as a, as a thing. And really, it never does. It only exists as a tool and a tool of power and a tool of power for the few. It truly does not exist except for the power that we all give it with our words and assumptions and practices. Even if those words and assumptions and practices lead to brutal, destructive, murderous, treacherous, terrorist outcomes for people that are true, real consequences, they're based on an ent- in a, something that's entirely made up. Entirely. And so once you can acknowledge that and actually practice the fact that it's made up, that's, it, it goes poof, like magic. And that is a privilege to be able to do that. And I can do that because I'm safe in my home with my white husband. <laughs> uh, and I have, a, you know, all these other circumstances around me that allow me to have had, like, um, have been able to explore these ideas. 
but it's then my responsibility to push the, those ideas to power, to true power, authentic power, which comes from love. And that's my point. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> what else you got to say? Um, ditto on everything you said. <laughs> um, no, uh, well, let's, you know, let's advance this conversation. I mean, really what we're really talking about is how Asa and his generation and even mm-hmm. his, the generation that comes, you know, we don't even know what Asa's generation is. Right now they're into fire trucks, but like <laughs> what, you know, what the next wave of yeah. new And technology and mediated experience is going to And also, bring. but also identity. I mean, right. Some of the things that we're grappling with that we went through our liberal arts education, like writing about and theorizing about and podcasting about might just be like really archaic and old to, to like this, to a generation that like comes up with like universal and, and yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying Asa might be on some next level sort of alien outer space thinking about all this stuff. Let's hope he gets the chance and the world doesn't get swallowed up. In a tsunami. Yeah. Or a meteor crash. That is one of my hopes. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine told me this weekend that she saw a sign during the election that said, Meteor 2016. <laughs> 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 and she was like, yeah, that's how I feel. <laughs> that is what I'm hoping for. <laughs> I think that's what happened. I think that's actually what happened. I think that moment, right... At the end of, um, what's the movie with Bruce Willis where they, they blow the meteor up? Uh, Armageddon. Right? That moment right at the end where Bruce Willis has to go down and he's going to just finish the drilling and mm-hmm. explode the meteor. Kamikaze. Yeah. And like and, and Ben Affleck's, and he's like, take care of my daughter mm-hmm. and that whole thing. It's like that happened. But then right when, ben, right when Bruce Willis was like going back to blow up the metaphor. The meteor. <laughs> metaphor. To blow up the meteor. <laughs> He just like tripped and fell down and peed his <laughs> pants and the movie ended with the meteor hitting Earth in twenty sixteen. That's what the Donald Trump presidency right. is. It's it's Armageddon without the without hero Bruce finale. Willis. Bruce Willis still dies, but so do all of us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hopefully we die on a spaceship and not just on boring old Earth. <laughs> So you're saying that in that metaphor analogy, you're, you're hoping to be Bruce Willis, even if you trip and fall. <laughs> yeah. That's better than what happened. That's better than be what it, than being on Earth for the meteor. <laughs> I'd rather be up in space, like oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> celebrate everything you can. <laughs> That's the times we live in. No, I do think um, it's scary. It's scary to think about. He's a you know, growing older in this world, but... Yeah, and is he going to grow older? Is he going to have a quality of life that's on par with, or can we expect more from his life than from our own? Yeah. I think in general that expectation has started to shift for the world. Like, for the world's population as a whole, I don't think that people are expecting their children's lives to be better than theirs. I think that's like, if we were to average all the lives that have stakes and have, you know, the sentiment, I'm not sure would be above 50%. 
Uh, yeah, I think that's actually one of these things that people talk about on talk shows now is that, particularly in the United States, that we're our kids are the first generation, or we maybe we are the first generation that can't expect to do better than our parents. Yeah. And is that because the world is ending? <laughs> or is that because we're on these cycles of like, you know, or like how big are the cycles of ups and downs? Like the, the Greek, the Roman Empire was us at one point and then just disintegrated into mush. Right. And, then, and the dinosaurs. Sure. <laughs> we're so here like, at one point. When we say the world is ending, the world is not ending. No, the human world. The, the yeah. world as we know it. Right. Someone told me this a long time ago in my 20s, so long ago. <laughs> the world still exists. Yeah, that really freaked me out. She was an oceanographer, and she said she went to some conference on climate change. Like This was like 15 years ago, maybe maybe less than that. that I if you're going to hit me with a climate change fact that's going to scare me, just go ahead and... Go. No, it's it's just a, 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 another way of putting what you just said. She oh. told me many years ago, she said, you know, someone talked about, like, what, is, what are our chances for survival, and... <laughs> Someone said, "Oh, the the Earth will go on. We are doomed, but the Earth will go on." Right. The Earth is the Earth. It's not going to st- cease to exist. This is actually something I wanted to raise. I went. I think for a long time we've just been thinking about the effects of climate change and how these champions of capitalism on the right how, continue to deny the existence of this thing because it stands in the way of capitalism and their bottom line and for so long i felt like god you know it's just this battle between the enlightened and the refusing to be enlightened which which maybe they're refusing to be enlightened because they're greedy or whatever more recently i've been thinking about it that they know it's real they know it's Mm -hmm. the science is real they're just realizing how real it is and they actually have and they have much more of a yeah they're just basically it's actually much more sinister is, than that this is wealth consolidation happening as the yeah. world begins to end this is the whole thing why would we now stop and trying to reverse it what we need to do is is buy up all the land yeah, and the, the, resor- and the resources and just make sure we have access to the things needed for the end of the world to happen what we need to do is that's what's bait happening. and switch yeah it's just divert people's attention enough that we can hoard all the resources for when the they're tsunami get, comes. They're literally going to get all the truffles, <laughs> all the Viagra. <laughs> what other, what else do rich people need? What else do you need? <laughs> yes, the water and the... Yeah, all the water, the oil. All the Amazon Prime. They are, it's true. All the Amazon Prime drones are only going to serve them. Um, once the roads catch on fire. Anyway, yeah, it is pretty sinister, but I think we need to stop looking at this as ideological and just um, approach it more as tactical. Yeah, tactical short view. Just like you uh, were saying, self destruction. But this, the larger view of that, to me, is that this is, you know, it will man evolve in time to save itself, evolve to the next stage of thinking beyond. Of, of ego-based living that's short that's that's inherently short view and self-destructive is it will man evolve or will the systems that man has created to govern and civilize itself evolve at the same rate as man because i think most people right 
are evolving faster than our government and our right. governing bodies. Can we push our governing bodies towards where we are? But the, it, the people have to do it. It has to be a critical mass, which is right. essentially what makes up the governing body. Which, yeah, and then they release cell phones and now nobody cares <clears throat> anymore. Yeah. All right, are we getting too deep? No, I'm just saying, if we didn't have cell phones, you know, Donald Trump would not have won the election. <laughs> cell phones regressed us? Yeah. Cell we phones regressed us culturally. In our evolution, I mean, we just... In our evolution. Yeah. We stopped. We stopped. Developing. We stopped using like our bipedal. You know, we, we're going <laughs> back to like what happened but in the trees. Maybe it's like one of these, like a wave. You know how the wave pulls water out before it. Yeah. Crests. Like maybe it's like building up. It's like it seems like a regression, but it's only to build towards a big push forward. Right. And you, that would be the wave that knocks out the entire North American <laughs> continent, so the rest of the world can get on with it. No, we're talking about again a literal tactical, a real wave, not a yeah. Well, not I do an think ideological. Nowhere one. in history has has like ideological and cultural shifts of seismic proportion happened without a whole lot of crazy, violent, um, unearthing of comfort zone shit happening, and that's what's happening, and yeah. we're seeing it all in real time, with you know in some ways with no real sense of what's real and also with access to everything that anyone's saying at any time and people are losing their minds. Right, but I do think that there is some gains here that we can't, there are some gains here that we just can't see yet that, that Asa will be able to see in his generation. Like, yeah. we're fucking up so that he can fly. <laughs> I hope so. I, ho- I really hope so because I don't actually think that we have the tools to moderate this for him. He's gonna, he, in a lot of ways, he's on his own to figure this stuff out because we're lost in the sauce in certain ways. That's yeah. what I feel like I'm observing. No, we could just move to the country because I think a lot of people realize what you're saying and then <laughs> say, you know what? This world is crazy and I'm not sure we're going to be able to like prepare our children for it. But if we buy up some land, there's just a safe place for everybody to run around and like, you know, go fishing by the creek and, you know, this is yeah, well, that's thinking that you us. have. Yeah, well, that's thinking that you have some answer where, where I'm feeling like we have to surrender to. We don't actually have the answers. Progress and the future are going to come to, and astound us. And They're just, we, it's just going to happen more. You and I are not generationally, generationally prepared. And I only hope that Ace's generation will be because like living in the woods, doing the Henry Thoreau thing <laughs> is not progress. <laughs> All I'm saying it's, is, it's if you live in the city, avoidance. if you live in the city and you grew up in the city, <laughs> you're going to have to make sense of a lot more, a lot sooner. Someone's going to yell something at you when you're in the subway long before you know how to differentiate between what's in that person's head and and what should be it, like, like it is now penetrating or? your mind. You know, yeah. all I'm saying is bringing up Asa in the city with within this crazy world, we're putting him in the dead nucleus center of this giant science experiment where he's in the center of the petri dish and some people have a theory that like you wade into it and you kind of get your wisdom from your calm safe space yeah and that makes a little sense to me as i think about bringing a child into the world and i think we should move to the country (laughs) i think we should move to the country also also because i've never lived there and i would i i think i deserve it yeah um, as a change of pace and a different way of life yeah but I also think that there's pros and cons to being a city kid to every way of life. Yeah. And particularly 
the I mean, city. If we bring AIDS up the in the country, it's just going to be a especially New York dealer. City. <laughs> especially New York City, despite the fact that it's increasingly a place for the wealthy. Like that to me, that that's the tactical, practical reason to move is because fuck the city. They're lying to us about what it's worth. Right. That's one point of view. Another, though, is that the people still make the town and that uh, New York City it is the edge of society. It is the place where new ideas come to mix. Sure. I and, mean, as long as and, we have a community. And the lightning speed at which his mind will develop in this environment has its own benefits. Yeah, I agree. And he's... He's going to know how to deal with it when someone yells something right. in the subway. He's, he's going to be in it and, and of it, and that has yeah. its own gains that I don't think you just write off as like an answer to the future. But I do believe that there is a value in, a, tons of value in this upbringing that I never had in the country. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have either. I'm just, it's just a, <laughs> grow up in the country either. But Yeah, but you, you kind of did. You know what's the truth? People have been yelling at me on the street my whole life. That's the truth. <laughs> you know what's the truth is that I'm not even sure this is a thing. I just know I'm fucking sick of it. I've been dealing with this shit my whole life. Yeah. So I am. I am complaining. A yeah. You know what? <laughs> you know what? This episode is about me complaining. <laughs> I feel better. Well, I'm full uh, better too that we've come full circle now. Yeah, and we yeah. can wrap up. All right. Well, let's let's cheers one more time. Yeah. I really appreciate you letting me on your show. Yeah. Whatever you decide to call it. <laughs> I appreciate you for coming. Okay. Um, my captive guest. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. And cheers to you. And but mainly to me. <laughs> but me. White devil. <laughs> no, I don't mean that. I love you. No, you gotta end it with the white devil. <laughs> end it. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>